Well, good morning. My name is Kevin Dia. I am lead pastor at Restoration Church. Let me thank you so much for joining us in this online service today. I love the fact that despite these physical restrictions on us gathering together, I am so glad that we can still come together to worship our Savior, to study scriptures together through the medium of the internet. So thank you so much for tuning in today. I want to encourage you as you tune in, um, go onto Facebook, go onto social media, and engage in the comment section of this video. This is one of the simple ways that we can engage with one another. We're going to ask some questions during this video and go ahead and answer those questions for yourself in the comments section. Think of the comments as being the lobby of the church, the opportunity where we can engage with one another, engage with what's happening in this service today, and uh, let's connect with one another. Man, wasn't that great to have our worship team do some worship for us today? I love our worship team. They have such a love for our church. And they said, how can we love and serve and lead the church in this section? So they did some research and got together to figure out how they could do some video for us so we can worship together. So go ahead, if you've got their contact or maybe their uh, internet, uh, social media accounts, go ahead and send them a message and thank them for what they did. Maybe you just send them that, uh, that, that praise hands emoji and just thank them for what they did. I also want to shout out and give thanks to Jacob Heed. Jacob's been working hard behind the scenes to get the Zoom uh, video meeting app going for us. Uh, in fact, one of our life group leaders reached out to me this week and said, hey, it was so good for us to be able to connect with our life group over Zoom and actually see each other face to face. So thank you, Jacob, for the work you've put into that. I want you to know that despite this physical separation, I want you to know you are loved here at Restoration Church. Our elders are continuing to pray for you individually. They're praying for our church collectively. They're praying for our city. They are praying for our world. I hope you know that you are loved. And please, 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 despite the restrictions we have, please do not do life alone. Uh, this is one of those times that it would be easy for us to recluse and to pull back, but I think this is one of those times that we need each other. So, so reach out to me, reach out to Jake, reach out. There's ways to connect on our social media pages, wages, ways to connect on our website, uh, ways to connect with one another. Please, please, please stay connected. As we start things out today, listen, how many of you love watching The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon? Now, I'll admit Jimmy Fallon is my favorite, but it usually comes on too late for me to actually watch. So I enjoy watching clips. I saw this clip uh, not long ago where uh, Jimmy Fallon asked people to, to tweet the, the dumb things they believed as a kid. Have you ever seen this before? Uh, I, I love these. some of these tweets. One person tweeted in and said, I was afraid to take the tags off my pillow because I was afraid that the FBI would come and raid my house and take me off to jail. How many of you are guilty of believing that? Another person tweeted and said, I used to believe that chocolate milk came from brown cows. If that's the case, then where does strawberry milk come from? Another person tweeted out and said, I used to actually believe that there was a such thing called blinker fluid. I know some of you, I just disappointed you. There's not such a thing as blinker fluid. Another one said, I used to believe that Google actually had people typing in the answers as I searched them in the Google search bar. I know, some crazy things. What, what about you? What are some of the things you believed maybe when you were younger, maybe when you were a child, and as you've grown older, you've realized those things weren't exactly true? Sometimes I think that we believe something to be 
the solution to a problem. We think this is going to solve everything when it's not really the solution to the problem at all. In fact, I think about me. A couple years ago, I had this favorite shirt. I think it was a Mariner shirt, if I remember right. And I had this favorite shirt, and all of a sudden, I realized it just wasn't fitting anymore. Something was wrong right around this section right here. So I figured I need to start exercising. The problem was I was already, I'm already pretty naturally uh, just active. And so I did all this exercise and, and nothing was changing. The shirt still didn't fit me. And my wife, God bless my wife, she made this suggestion. She said, you know, maybe the problem isn't exercise. Maybe the problem is you go to Taco Bell for lunch too often. And I gave her one of those uh, you don't know what you're talking about looks is I shoved a Chalupa Supreme into my mouth to finish that thing off. Finally, a couple months later, I realized, man, this isn't really making a difference. And I decided that maybe the solution to this shirt having this problem in this region, maybe it was my diet after all. Makes me, what about, has that ever happened to you? where you assume that you know what the problem is, you assume you know what the solution is, and maybe you try that solution, and maybe you have a little bit of improvement, but the problem always comes back because you haven't quite dealt with the root issue and the correct solution. I think about the season that we are in in our world right now. We know that coronavirus, it is a big deal. And there's many of us, we are praying that God would heal the coronavirus. We are praying for, for clean hands, for clean places. We're praying for doctors to somehow find some sort of thing to, to curb the spread of this thing. We're praying for healing. And we join you in that. That is our daily prayer as well. But you ever notice how maybe the coronavirus, it also begins to be very revealing about us as people. Reveals some of the motives of our heart. That some of us, this has revealed that we are overcome by fear. Coronavirus, for some of us, it is revealing that we are incredibly critical and judgmental. And so, yes, we, we pray that God would rid the earth of the coronavirus. But perhaps we need to be reminded that coronavirus is not our greatest need. Our greatest need is not just freedom from physical suffering and freedom from the world of disease. But our greatest need is that we would have healing and freedom in our hearts. You see something similar to this in the book of Judges. At Restoration Church, we've been studying the, the book of Judges for a couple of weeks now, and we're going to continue to study it today. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Judges. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, if you open up your Bible to the very beginning, Judges is the seventh book of the Bible. So if you turn about 200 pages to the right from the very beginning, you should find the book of Judges. The book of Judges, the story is, is, is this, where it details God's people. God's people, they have taken their eyes off of God, have decided instead of doing what God wants us to do, we're going to live according to our own wisdom and do thing, whatever seems right to our own eyes. And when they do that, God lets them. God says, hey, you want to do this, you go for it. And he lets them suffer the consequences of their choices, which leads to this constant oppression and suffering that they have to endure. Oftentimes we see in Judges what happens in the middle of that suffering. They cry out to God and say, God, we need redemption. We need someone to come and save us from this oppression. And so God does this. He raises up a judge for them, a deliverer, usually in the form of a military commander, who frees them from that physical oppression until Israel, again, does what seems right in their own eyes. They, they walk away from God 
and God sends them, lets them go right back into the oppression. And so the, the book of Judges is really this roller coaster of the people getting into physical, physical oppression, God bringing up a judge to deliver them, and then Israel going right back to where they came from. The current judge that we've been talking about is a guy by the name of Gideon. Many of you know who that name is. Gideon is not the ideal man that we would pick to be a judge. In fact, scripture in Judges chapter 6 says that Gideon was the weakest man from the weakest clan of the weakest tribe of Israel. He wouldn't be the guy that we would choose to be the judge. But God chose him and God used him to lead Israel to this miraculous victory. In fact, what happened in that story is uh, the, the people that were oppressing Israel, the Midianites, they had an army of about 100,000 people. Gideon gathered an army of about 32,000 people. The odds are against them, but Gideon is willing to step in and obey God in that until God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reduce your army from 32,000 to 10,000. And then he reduces the army again from 10,000 to 300. We saw this story last week. And, and, and this idea of God reducing the army to 300 was so that Gideon and Israel would know God is the one who brought them victory. That they didn't bring victory against the Midianites because of anything they did, because of how strong and wise they were. It was because God was with them. So last week we saw that through the power of God, Gideon's army of 300 men, they defeated the Midian army of over 100,000 men. And not a single one of Gideon's soldiers died. Miraculous. We praise God for that. That's a great story. Today, we're going to continue looking at the story of Gideon. We're going to look at Judges chapter 8 and Judges chapter 9. Now, I'm going to say, for sake of this being an online video, we're going to run through these rather quickly and summarize these chapters. So I encourage you, your homework today is to take a minute and read Judges chapter 8 and chapter 9 just to get the depth of these stories. These two chapters are going to be so different than what we read in Judges chapter 7. In 7, Gideon, man, he's relying on God. He's praying. He's talking to God. And in chapter 8, Gideon no longer is doing those things. Now pride has overtaken Gideon. And, and Gideon is going to start doing what seems right to his own eyes, which is, again, the repeat problem in the book of Judges. And so in, in Judges chapter 8, for example, it starts out where Gideon is going after the Midianite kings. They had escaped, and so Gideon and his 300 soldiers, they're, they're chasing after these kings to try and, and capture them and deal with them, and they get a little bit hungry. So in Judges chapter 8, verse 5, it says that Gideon asks the men of the city of Succoth. Succoth was a, was a weaker city in the region. It says he asks the, the men of the city for a little bit of help. He said, hey guys, can you give us some food? We're pursuing the bad guys. We need a little bit of help. And the response from the men of Succoth in verse, verse 6 is, No way. No way are we going to help you. We're not going to do that. Gideon realizes, Hey, our men are really hungry. We really need some help. And so verse 8 says that Gideon, again, he asks the men of another city, the city of Penuel, who is another weak city. He asks them for help. And the same thing happens. They say, No way are we going to jump in and engage you. And so here's what happened. Again, here's Gideon, chapter 7. We see Gideon being the man of God. And in chapter 8, we're going to see something completely different. Gideon, he goes out. They capture the Midianite kings. They deal with them. And instead of having this, this worship service where they praise God for victory, it says in verse 16 that Gideon took the elders, the leaders of Succoth, and he covered, with them, covered them with thorns, and he taught them a lesson, which means he wrapped them in thorns and he beat them. 
Then in verse 17, it gets worse. It says that Gideon, he broke down the altar or broke down the tower of Peniel and he killed the men of the city. Again, here's what we see. God, he does this miraculous thing. He redeems Israel. And then Gideon gets proud and does what's right in his own eyes and leads to him doing some pretty bad things in chapter 8. And it gets worse. Further down in chapter 8, it says in verse 24, Gideon asked the, all the soldiers, he says, every one of you, give me the earrings from your spoil. He has this idea, hey, since I'm the leader and since I brought you victory over the Midianites, you all owe me. So he has them all give him some, some, some wealth that they, that they got and he becomes a very wealthy man. In verse 27, it says that, God, that Gideon made himself an ephod which was a special vest that was only to be worn by the high priest and only in the presence of God. And so verse 27, it says that Gideon made himself an ephod and all of Israel prostituted themselves after it. And it became a snare to Gideon, to his family, and to all of Israel. See, Gideon is not quite denying the fact that God exists. But what he's doing is he's putting himself in the place of God. He's directing people's attention onto him instead of being on God. And so here's Gideon, the man that God used to bring freedom from Midianite oppression. And now Gideon is actually leading Israel away from God, leading them right back into oppression. And that's chapter 8 for us. But Gideon's story doesn't end there. It continues. It, it says that Gideon had 70 sons. That's a lot of kids. He had 70 sons, and one of those sons came from a prostitute, and that son's name was Abimelech. And chapter 8 tells Abimelech's story. Excuse me, chapter 9 tells Abimelech's story. Abimelech, because he was born from this slave, this, this prostitute, that he was an outsider in his family. And again, you can read this the, the entire chapter on your own, it will be a good idea for you to get the depth of the story. I'm going to run through and summarize it for you as best as I can here in just a few minutes. So this son Abimelech, he kind of grew up as an outcast and he decides, man, I want to do something about this. So he goes to uh, his mom's ancestors. His mom came from the city of Shechem, which was a holy city for Israel. And uh, he goes to the people of Shechem and he gets them to anoint him as king. And they give him some money and he becomes wealthy. And so as king, uh, he gets the people together and they're able to kill all of his brothers except for one. They kill all those brothers and this crazy thing that happens. And so here's Abimelech. He begins to rule in the city of Shechem. After a few years though, the people of Shechem who had anointed him as king, they revolt against him and say, we don't want you to be our king anymore. So Abimelech, his response is he gathers his army and he goes and he attacks the people of Shechem. And all the people of Shechem, they run and they, they go and they, they hide in this tower. That They hide in this ta the city tower. And what does Abimelech do? He gathers a bunch of, of dry things, puts it all around the base of that tower, and he lights it. And he burns it all, including the people. Abimelech still hungry for power and influence, he goes to the next city and drives all the people into the next city's tower and is ready to do the same thing until some woman on the top story of this floor of this tower drops a frying pan on Abimelech's head and ends his story right there. These stories are crazy, are they not? Well, let me tell you what scares me about the story of Gideon and Abimelech 
in the book of Judges. Because here's, in the beginning of the story of Gideon, this is what we read, that Israel was being oppressed by the Midianites. They were suffering physically. And they said, listen, we need some physical relief. We need a rescuer to give us physical relief and healing. This was an obvious physical need. This is what they were praying for. This is what they were asking God for. And so in Judges chapter 6, verse 6, the beginning of Gideon, it says, Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. And in response to their crying out, God raised up a deliverer by the name of Gideon, who by God's strength, he freed them from that physical suffering and oppression. But as soon as that physical suffering was gone, Gideon, Gideon of all people, shows us that their greatest need was not physical healing. Their greatest need was healing in their heart. In fact, this is a pattern of the entire book of Judges. That the people, they suffer oppression, usually brought on by their own rebellion. They suffer this oppression, and in the middle of that suffering, they cry out to God for for a physical redeemer to bring them freedom from their physical suffering. And then as soon as they experience that, Israel goes right back to rebelling against God, to living according to their own eyes, bringing them back to the point that God lets them suffer the consequences of their sin. See, what Israel needs is not just a Gideon to lead them out of oppression. They need a better judge, a new king, who would not just deliver them physically, but would bring freedom to their hearts, would help cure the greatest curse, which is a curse of the human heart, of the sinful heart. So I start thinking about where we are in our world today. And we're probably a lot like Israel, right? Where we are suffering from a physical disease by the name of coronavirus. In all honesty, I think suffering is a right term for what we're doing. Right now, there's people who are struggling through a loss of jobs and loss of income, There's the stock market on the verge of collapsing and probably ruining people's retirement plans and other things. We've got kids who are cooped up in homes. Um, I hear people talking that this could last for months to come. And so we cry out to God for relief. And that's good and that's right. And I'm I'm joining you in that. I'm praying every day that God would do something to curb the spread of coronavirus. I'm praying for God to bring protection for those that are at the highest risk. I'm praying for God to heal those that have been affected by this disease. And I'm praying that God would bring freedom. But I don't want us to be blind to think that our greatest problem is something that happens out there. I don't want us to be blind to think that if coronavirus was cured, that life would be good in itself. I mean, let me ask you this. What has the coronavirus revealed about your own heart? Think about that. Some of us, if we're going to be honest, our response to the coronavirus has shown that we are overcome with fear, that we have fear in our heart. And we might try, we might try and, and, and disguise our fear as wisdom. But if we're honest, and some of us are living out of fear, fear of what happens if I get this disease, fear of what happens if my family gets this disease. Some of us, again, if we're going to be honest, our response to coronavirus has shown how critical and judgmental our heart is towards other people. Social media is this great tool for us to try and stay connected. But the downside of social media is it becomes a platform where we begin to criticize everybody else for their response. Because, of course, 
we're the only ones that have the right response to this whole ordeal. I mean, we've got people that are stockpiling toilet paper and all these other supplies. Listen, what are you going to do with all that toilet paper anyways? What does that reveal about your heart? That perhaps our need to stockpile and to gather all the stuff for ourselves, perhaps it reveals some brokenness in our heart. Perhaps it reveals some selfishness and maybe some, some greed. In fact, I saw this this week. I saw this meme where this guy, this guy says, since there are no sports on television right now, he said he's had to spend a lot of time in his home and he, and he noticed some woman that was living in his home with him and found out it was his wife. He said, I actually like her. And we can laugh at a meme like that. But some of us, we've got some dysfunction within our relationships. And now that we're being an at home with one another, maybe the anger begins to show itself once again. We've got spouses that lack any real intimacy, where one spouse is in one end of the house, the other's in the other end of the house, and there's really no connection. It's kind of more so like their roommates. Being home together reveals maybe there are some, some dysfunction between parents and kids where those relationships are struggling and not where they should be. Some of us in the middle of this coronavirus, man, we've got bad habits that are still a stronghold in our lives. And these strongholds are destroying our health. They're destroying our relationships. They're destroying our intimacy with God and our ability to hear the voice of God in our own lives. Again, I would just say, if we were honest, if God answered all of our prayers, if God healed us of coronavirus, if God gave us uh, prosperity and a good education and a perfect government, would we have heaven on earth? Israel believed that physical healing was all they need, all they needed, and every time after they got it, their suffering got worse and worse and worse. And that is telling us that our greatest need is not just physical healing. Our greatest need is healing of the curse of sin inside our hearts. Our primary, our primary need is not God delivering us from some bad thing, whether that be coronavirus or pain or broken relationships or a lack of money. And yes, we, need, we may need those things, but they're not what we need most. What we need most is freedom in our own heart. Any salvation that fails to deal with our human heart is not a real salvation. So what is it in your heart? What is it in your heart that God needs to heal? Maybe for you, it's that fear and the lack of trust in the sovereignty of God, knowing that God is with you, that God is working things out even though we don't understand it. Maybe for you, what is God revealing that he wants to heal in your heart? Maybe for you, it's that judgment and criticism of other people. Maybe for you, God has revealed that anger and that bitterness and that, and that unforgiveness in your heart that needs to be dealt with. Maybe for you, God is revealing that lust in your heart once again. Listen, we need healing. We need saving. We need saving from the coronavirus and a crashing economy and from falling behind in school and, and all those other things. But more importantly, we need healing in our hearts. We need a Savior who can deliver us not only from the physical curses around us, but a Savior who can heal us from the curse of sin that is within us. We need a Savior who can not just fix our situation. We need a Savior who can fix us. We need a king who will not only rule with love and justice, we need a king who can make us like him. 
And that's why we need the book of Judges. That's why we need these stories uh, like Gideon, that through their messiness and their disappointment and through their failures, they point us to the ultimate king, King Jesus. Would you just take a moment with me and, and pray? God, I just pray, God, that you help us to see just what our true need is. God, I pray that just as much as we are praying, God, that you would heal us of coronavirus and that you would free us from uh, the, the suffering we're in right now. God, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves. That God, as we think about our responses like the coronavirus, as we think about what's going on inside of our hearts, that God, we'd be open to say, God, would you reveal to me my brokenness? And that we would recognize our greatest need is not just uh, this healing in a physical sense. God, our greatest need is that you would remake our heart, that you would renew us, that you would heal us, that God, that we would bring our sin to you and give it to you, and that God, you would forgive us of that sin, and that you would redeem us and make us new. God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray, God, that you would comfort us. I pray, God, that we would have the assurance that when we confess our sins and we cry out to you, that God, you are faithful and just to forgive us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what our greatest need is, that you would meet us and minister to us now. God, we love you and praise you. We praise you that you are the God who will bring us freedom from physical suffering. But God, I praise you even more that you'll bring us for freedom from the curse of sin in our hearts. God, we love you and we praise you and we ask this in your holy and perfect and precious name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Pastor Jake. Whether you are new here to Restoration Church or you call Restoration your home, I'm so glad that you are joining with us this season. The first and primary way to stay connected to Restoration Church is by liking our Facebook page or our Instagram page. And then after you've done that, I want to encourage you to connect to the people of Restoration at a deeper level. And you can do that by finding our groups page on our Restoration Yakima page and then just simply ask to join. Lastly, as our church has gone completely online during the season, I want to encourage you to continue to give to Restoration Church. You can either go to restorationyakima.com forward slash give, or you can text any amount to 84321. I am so excited for what God is doing in our church, in our community in this season. And so thanks for joining us and see you next week.